everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Co-Sleeping. I'm Amanda. And I'm Adriana, and I'm so excited to welcome someone whose resources and wealth of knowledge have been so important for me through my postpartum journey, therapist, educator, and mom of two, Kate Borsato. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to dive into our conversation today. I know how beneficial your resources and your content have been both for myself and Adriana, but before we dive in, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. Well, first of all, it's so nice to hear that what I share has been helpful for you. I really appreciate hearing that. My name is Kate. Just to position myself, I am on the far west coast of Canada on Vancouver Island. And I work as a mental health therapist and I mainly support moms during pregnancy, postpartum, and the early years of motherhood. We call this perinatal period, basically just motherhood. I also lead a team of therapists across Canada. So we all work virtually. So we support moms out of the comfort of their home because it's mom life and that's realistic. As a therapist, we're so limited to where we work. So I've also created this Instagram account and courses, workshops, all sorts of things just to really help normalize mental health in motherhood, but also create some great educational resources so that moms have some options and have some ideas of how to make this all feel a little bit easier. I know a little bit about you just from following you for as long as I have, but can you share with our listeners what led you to become as passionate as you are about perinatal therapy and maternal mental health? Yes. I like this question because it gets right to like the, the honest <laughs> stuff. So that's what we um, want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I chose this field because it feels personal, you know, and I, I think for most folks who work in perinatal health, there's usually a personal thread there, right? Whether that's something that they went through or somebody that they really love and care for struggled with. So for me, when I became a mom, uh, gosh, seven years ago, my kids are six and seven now, I was actually pretty floored with how difficult it was. I had not expected it to be that painful, that isolating. I didn't expect anxiety to spike like it did. I was just pretty surprised with how it felt. And then as a therapist already, so I was already working as a mental health practitioner, I reflected back on my education and realized that the word postpartum or motherhood or perinatal mental health was literally not mentioned one time in my entire graduate training program, which is like a whole other issue that we need to tackle, but that's not okay, right? Like there's so many people who are impacted by, you know, mental health challenges during this stage of life. And why are we not talking about it more for these educational programs? So it was a combination of like what I was going through and feeling quite unsupported and then recognizing that there's a big gap in what services are out there. Through the years of balancing being at home with the babies and also thinking about like, what do I want to do with my career and my life? I pursued some more education in perinatal mental health specifically and then started working with moms online and quickly built a big practice because, you know, as soon as you start meeting a need that clearly is underserved, mothers just started coming out of everywhere looking for support. So that's how things started to grow. I've always tried to be really open about my struggles. So particularly anxiety was something that I experienced. And we can talk a lot more about what that looked like. But I always want to let people know that even with all of my education and training, that didn't protect me from going through some of these things. So if you are suffering right now, it's not because you don't know enough or aren't good enough. It's just that these things happen and it's definitely not your fault. 
I know every mom out there listening can definitely relate to a time postpartum that they didn't really feel supported, whether it be by their providers, their family members, friends, those who are really supposed to be closest to us, especially during that time. And I know for you, Adriana, you became a mom in the middle of a pandemic, which is even more isolating. Well, exactly. And the challenging thing is that isolation and feeling unsupported is one of the biggest risk factors for mental health issues. So then when we look at how mothers have been going through life over the past few years, it's not surprising to see the numbers of depression and anxiety skyrocket. Mm -hmm. We were never meant to do this by ourselves, yet everyone's pretty much doing this by themselves right now, and it doesn't work. I heard a lot about postpartum depression while I was pregnant. Being someone who likes to be prepared and informed, I looked into what that might mean. My gynecologist talked about it with me so that I could possibly be prepared in some way if that were to affect me. What I never heard about, though, was postpartum anxiety, and it was what I did struggle with for months after having Aiden. So could you talk a little bit about the differences? Yes, I like this question because, you know, most people would relate to that. We've we've heard about depression a lot and we need to keep talking about it, of course, but anxiety actually happens at an equal rate as depression, possibly even more these days because of what's happening with the pandemic and just this heightened sense of awareness and fear and hypervigilance that just plays right into anxiety. The other thing I want to mention here right at the beginning is that all of these things happen, you know, depression, anxiety happen equally in pregnancy as they do postpartum. So some of your listeners might be expecting right now or might be planning to have children and just kind of keep that in mind. It's common for these issues to start early on, not just postpartum. When we're looking at depression versus anxiety, I like to think of visually this baseline where your mood is kind of steady, right? Your normal mood. Depression would be like where that line dips down and anxiety would be where that line dips up. So that's just like a very simple way to visualize it. So depression would be when your energy is low, your mood feels really down and sad and, you know, everything feels dark and negative. Maybe it feels like you don't have a lot of motivation, things that used to feel joyful don't feel that way anymore. And then of course, at the really extreme levels have suicidal thoughts, thoughts that maybe you made the wrong choice to have children. Any of these things are really big red flags if you ever feel that way. Then when we're shifting to think about anxiety, it's quite different. So you might have a little bit of that low mood sense of darkness or a negative lens on everything, but you might also feel a lot of irritability, feeling on edge all the time. Some moms talk about feeling like they're just going to snap. You know, you're just right at your threshold. And then, of course, things like feeling constant worry and not being able to get your mind off of worries. Gosh, over the last couple of years, how do we not worry, right? There's just like constant information coming your way about all of these threats and all of these decisions that you're supposed to make that are really difficult. So that, again, feeds right into anxiety. Some of the classic anxiety symptoms that we don't talk about as much are things like insomnia. So anybody who is struggling to fall asleep when they have the opportunity to sleep. So, of course, your babies are going to wake you up. That's normal. But if everybody's sleeping and you're laying there trying to fall asleep and you just cannot, that's a pretty classic symptom of anxiety. We also see things like intrusive thoughts or really scary images or scenes playing out in your mind. And we can get more into that if you'd like, because that's a really specific symptom of anxiety that can be so troublesome for moms. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a broad sense of the two. Is there anything that you want me to elaborate on there? I'm actually really glad that you mentioned 
mentioned the insomnia and the intrusive thoughts. Those were my symptoms. I, I couldn't sleep even when I was running on like zero sleep. It felt impossible. And the worry, the worries that I was kind of conjuring up in my mind, I, after doing some reading and research and actually your page uh, helped me realize that these were intrusive thoughts and they were more common than I thought. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know people listening will feel validated, first of all, knowing that they're not alone. So intrusive thoughts, do you want me to spend a few moments talking about what these are? So intrusive thoughts are, you know, what they sound like. These are thoughts, they could be word-based thoughts, you know, just like a sentence. What if this happens? What if that happens? It could also be an image or a whole movie scene in a way. Usually they're images or scenes. And these just burst into your mind without warning, without prompting. You didn't choose to have these thoughts, they just show up. And they can be pretty disturbing. So most people at some point in their lives will have intrusive thoughts. It's like a pretty normal thing that our brain does. But during periods of stress and overwhelm and vulnerability, right? Perinatal period is quite vulnerable. You have a little human that you're taking care of. And as a mom, you are so naturally hypervigilant and so tuned in to every single threat or fear or everything that could go wrong. That's just quite natural. And that's actually part of survival of humans. Thank goodness moms are so hypervigilant. Like we're on it. But the problem is, is that it opens up this possibility that these like horrific ideas enter your mind. And if you don't know why they're happening, then you can start to read into them and you can start to judge yourself and question yourself, question what might happen in the future. And it can just snowball into a whole lot of fear. Intrusive thoughts, sometimes they show up as, you know, things just like odd, inappropriate things, you know, even like a sexual thought about a friend or a neighbor that you might think, oh gosh, I shouldn't have thought that, but it just happens. <laughs> then they can start to escalate into you know, more difficult content. So maybe there's thoughts about accidents or injuries. So of course, this is really common for moms of young kids. Then they can get even harder from there. You might have intrusive thoughts that are about you being violent or you doing something inappropriate. So sometimes during a period of intense overwhelm or stress or even anger, you know, in the middle of the night when your baby's been screaming for five hours straight and you are at the end of your rope because you're so exhausted, you might have a thought flash in your mind that's like something violent. What if I throw my baby? What if I just leave my baby outside? What if I put a pillow on my baby's face and walk away, right? Like these things might sound horrific, but they actually happen so much more often than people might think. And I know there's going to be listeners who are so relieved just knowing that they are not monsters. They're not crazy. These things just happen. I'm so glad that we're discussing intrusive thoughts because it's something I've personally really struggled with even before having my daughter. Mine has always been these really bizarre things that once you start going down that rabbit hole of these thoughts, it's really hard for me to kind of get myself out of that way of thinking and snap out of that spiral. And when I do kind of come out of the thinking, I'm able to realize that these things that I'm worrying and obsessing about, they will never happen. But in the moment, it just feels so real and it's all you can think about. Exactly. And I think, you know, what we do with our thoughts is really important. And I'll share a few pieces about that because it's like you have the initial thought and then you have some choices to make, right? You can read into that thought or not. And what you do after you have that thought is really important. We can make it so much worse or we could just like let it go. And I know it sounds so easy to do that, but it, mm-hmm. it's a skill that we have to learn and practice. So one thing I want to address here, because folks listening might be thinking, well, how do I know if 
this thought is dangerous, right? How do I know that's not like a homicidal thought or a very dangerous thought? And so this is a really important question. And as a therapist, this is something I'm always listening for. And the question I ask is, when you think about that thought, when you think about it happening in real life, if this scene played out, does that feel right? Does that feel good? Do you feel like that matches your sense of reality, that this thing should happen? And most people will say, absolutely not. And that's why the thought is so anxiety provoking. Like That's why it's so disturbing because you would never want this thing to happen. And so if that's the case, what we call this is an ego dystonic thought. It is not in alignment with your sense of reality or what should happen. And so that's how we know it's about, it's about anxiety. It's not about danger or safety or anything that's wrong with that mother. It's just an anxious thought. If, on the other hand, that thought feels like something that should happen, like, yes, if I hurt my child, that's a good thing, or I want to do this horrific thing, and that feels right, that's a, a medical emergency. That's a big problem, a big red flag. And we're not talking about anxiety here. We're talking about something different, possibly psychosis or something that would require immediate intervention. That is so, so rare. That's like 0.01% of the time that happens. So for the most part, these types of thoughts are coming from an anxious place, not coming from a dangerous place. I would love to hear just some ways for moms to manage, realistic ways for moms to manage anxiety in the moment. You know, we're all pressed for time. We're all pressed for resources because we're pressed for time. And a lot of the times it can be hard to remember to check in with ourselves. You did a whole Instagram storyline about self-care and what it means and what it can mean for other moms. And you shared it. And it was so helpful and nice to see that self-care doesn't have to be this big plight that you undertake. It can be something simple and whatever it means for you, there's no wrong answer. But in terms of anxiety, what are some of the ways, more reasonable ways that we can tackle that when it comes up for us? Good question. I love the qualifier of more reasonable as well, because, <laughs> you know, one of the, the constant threads that I see is that there's not time, there's not an opportunity to do things for myself. And mm -hmm. I think this is true, right? If we let it happen, the tasks of motherhood can consume every single waking moment. So it's really hard to see how there's any opportunity to take care of yourself. So I'm really big about finding ways to do things that support yourself that can happen at the same time as parenting. We don't need to create an hour of alone time. I mean, that would be beautiful, but like <laughs> not realistic and just makes us feel defeated because it doesn't happen. So we need to find a way to, to help ourselves even when the kids are around. The most important place to start here when we're thinking about managing anxiety is looking at your nervous system. And so I know this gets a little bit into like physiology, biology talk, but it's an important piece to start to buy into some of the strategies that I'll share. When we're feeling anxious, what's happening is your nervous system is in threat mode. So thinking back to like high school biology, remember that fight or flight response. Now we talk about fight, flight, freeze, appease. There's different ways that our nervous system automatically reacts when we feel threatened. Threatened could be something like your baby screaming or a lot of noises or being really tired or having a messy house. Those things show up on your internal radar as a threat. And so it's not just like a physical threat from somebody else. It's this threat of like, my day is not going well. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not okay. Those things start to threaten your system and your nervous system automatically kicks you into fight, flight, or freeze. And anxiety is usually that fight or flight response where you have all of this energy, you feel very unsettled, you're very activated. And so we are only ever in this threat response mode or a relaxed mode. You can only be in one or the other. 
at the most basic way of thinking about this, when you're anxious, you're in this threat state. We need to get yourself into a calm state. That is the only way out of it. So how do we do that? We have to do this on purpose. We don't just like wait for the relaxed state to happen. Unfortunately, our bodies go into threat naturally. We don't have to do anything to go into our threat state. It just happens like with a blink of an eye, but we don't go into our relaxed state that easily. So that's why people hear so much about meditation, breath work, exercise, slowing down, taking breaks, self-care. It's like, I remember thinking those things were so annoying because they seemed way too simple. <laughs> they didn't seem like they were actually going to help. But once I started learning about the nervous system and what's actually happening with the threat response versus the relaxed response, then I started to buy into things like meditation and taking breaks and breathing. I'm so happy that you brought that up. I remember back to when I was a new mom and I'd have so many people tell me things like leave the dishes in the sink and hold your baby. They're only little for so long. And that's, of course, so much of what I believe in. And I wanted to soak up those moments. But for me, I'm so easily overstimulated. If there's too much clutter on the you know counters or if there's dishes in the sink, I instantly just shut down. And it doesn't allow me to be present with my daughter. In the beginning of my motherhood journey, it really made me feel so guilty as to why I couldn't just leave these things and enjoy these fleeting moments with my daughter. It brings us right back to that negative cycle of negative thoughts and just feeling like we're failing and becoming so consumed with mom guilt. And that's really why I love platforms like ours and yours, Kate, that really shed light on these topics that so many of us moms are struggling with. Absolutely. And that example that you shared is such a good example because you do hear that all the time, like, oh, leave the mess. The laundry will be there tomorrow. And it's like, well, yes. And I still need to function. And it's really stressful when I don't have my clothes. <laughs> and looking at my kitchen is overwhelming. And for you, Amanda, it sounds like you have that freeze response. Like you see the chaos mm -hmm. and you shut down. I always you know, encourage people to do the thing that's going to make you feel calm. Obviously, there's a line mm -hmm. though, right? Like if you have to spend all day tidying your house to help you feel calm, that's not functional and that's going to create other problems. You're going to miss out on your life. So it's a problem when it starts creating a problem. But if it takes mm -hmm. 10 minutes to quickly clean your kitchen and that creates a sense of calm, then go for it. I think we are so impacted by our surroundings, some people more than others. So if you're a highly sensitive person or if you just are, you know, aesthetic things or visual things really impact you, then that's actually like an opportunity to do something tangible to help you feel calm. So, you know, when we have little kids, often our houses are full of toys and like stuff. No matter what we said before we had kids, most of us say, I'll I can't, never have I like, can't do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember being like, I am not having primary colored toys everywhere. And then I'm sure enough, there's my house, just like a color bomb. <laughs> but, you know, pick a corner, pick a spot. Maybe your bedroom is like the place that could stay beautiful and calm and organized and spend some time in that space. Hi everyone, just wanted to take a quick break to talk about one of our favorite companies, Brightbox. Brightbox is the completely customizable and perfectly curated Happy Mail. At Coffee and Co-Sleeping, we're passionate about normalizing conversations that society has deemed as taboo. That's why we love Brightbox's newest collab, The Bestie Box. Brightbox joined forces with social worker and sex therapist Kristen Hodson to design a box that will encourage important conversations around our sexual health. Whether it's a sister, a best friend, or someone close, send a fun and educational surprise to learn about how and what kind of lubricant can improve your health and which ones might actually hurt. 
If the Bestie Box isn't for you, Brightbox has dozens of perfectly picked gifts with new boxes dropping every Wednesday, or even create your own. So head on over to brightboxes.com and use CoSleeping3 for $3 off an add-on. That's brightboxes.com and our code is CoSleeping3. Make somebody's day today and happy sending. Let's talk just about some tangible things because I want to leave listeners with some ideas. I mean, of course, there's like the big things like therapy. If anxiety or depression is really getting in the way of your life, then professional support is really important. But not everybody has the means or the you know ability to connect with that. We know things like mindfulness and meditation. So basically, mindfulness is paying attention in the moment. It's being present. It's slowing down. It's drinking that coffee and actually enjoying every sip and noticing all of the details about it. It's like simple things like that. You can practice mindfulness when you're nursing or bottle feeding or in the shower. It's bringing your mind from all of the other places it's living in, bringing it into the present and practicing that as much as you can. Because when you're mindful, when you're in the moment, you cannot be in anxiety. Your brain cannot be in the future worrying about anything. This is a skill. It sounds simple. It's tricky. We have to practice it. So that's one piece. Things like meditation, tapping is a new skill that's well, it's not new, but it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream. I teach this in my one of my programs. Anything that you can do to soothe your system. So like even sitting down for five minutes, putting on some music that you like, not kid music that drives you crazy, but <laughs> your own calm music. Anything that you can do to kind of slow down your nervous system is going to help balance that anxious response. Of course, there's also things like getting outside. Like we know the more time you spend in nature, the better you're going to feel, the more grounded you're going to feel. Exercise is so directly related to mental health. So, I mean, it's like almost as good as medication, to be honest. If you consistently stick to some movement and exercise, it's going to help with anxiety. I'm giving a whole bunch of options, but I just want people to know that therapy isn't the only ticket here. That is one possible solution, but there are so many things that you can do to help soothe your nervous system. Thank you for sharing a number of things that people can try and can do to make themselves be more mindful and be more in the moment. I know for me, practicing reducing anxiety is a practice and it's okay if I am not perfect at it. I can do it when I can and forgive myself on those days where I didn't. And I'm still practicing. And that's another piece of it is just giving myself that grace as I get the hang of this because it's not as simple as, you know what, go outside, get a breath of fresh air and just try to soak in the sunshine and the grass on your toes. (laughs) You have to practice that. (laughs) To be able to actually do that, it takes a few tries. It takes actually letting yourself do that and go there. And for me, it took a couple of months before I could feel that advice working for me. I think that's important to mention just that it might not feel the way we're describing it right now for a shot. It didn't for me, but it does now. And it's huge. It it, it is a game changer, but it's definitely a practice. And I know so many of us, especially our generation, we're the worst at this, that we really want quick fixes too. I do my mindful practice. I know there's a name for it that I can't think of, but I learned it in therapy years ago and it's the 54321 method. That may actually even be the name of it, but I focus on five things I can see and then four things that I'm feeling. And I would do this for months. And I remember telling my therapist, like, this isn't working. It actually raises my anxiety because I become hyper-focused on these little things rather than just clearing my mind. And that's so important what you just mentioned, Adriana, because she told me just to stick with it. 
And eventually I did. And these things became less of a task and more of like a muscle memory thing. It was automatic. When I became overwhelmed, I would immediately implement these tactics really without even thinking. Exactly. I really love that you brought up this desire for the quick fix and also, you know, this desire to get rid of anxiety or get rid of our problems. Mm -hmm. Of course, we want that. Like we want to live an easier, more joyful, peaceful life. Of course course we do, right? (laughs) But, you know, we have to also acknowledge that we are human beings and we will always for the rest of our lives experience the full spectrum of emotion, including fear and worry and anxiety. Like we're all going to feel it. And so I I like to bring this into the conversation. Like, let's learn how we tolerate these things. Like, how do we sit with an anxious day or an anxious week or a period of life that feels overwhelming rather than trying to get rid of it all or not feel those things? How do we get through the day even though we feel anxious? How do we be the moms we want to be even though we're feeling on edge and irritable and struggling? We can maybe do both. So this word tolerate, like how do we tolerate the anxiety? How do we notice it in the moment, do something to support ourselves, but not expect it to disappear. We don't need it to disappear in order to live a full life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. We should backtrack a little because I know for me, when I was exploring postpartum anxiety after I had Aiden, and I needed to pinpoint the difference between is this just like normal worry and concern or mm-hmm. is this anxiety? You know, I know there are some clear differences. I don't want everyone listening to think that if they have a day where they're worried about something completely reasonable, that they have anxiety. Exactly. Um, or for people that have anxiety to think, well, you know, I'm worried just like anyone else. For me, it was ruminating on things that were most likely, I won't say never, but most likely were never going to happen. So realizing that I was spiraling down these tunnels of thought that were almost nonsensical, that was my answer, that these are not thoughts that are rooted in reality. There's nothing supporting these ideas that I'm having these concerns that I'm having and I'm spending way too much time and emotional energy on mm-hmm. them. That's how I knew that I had anxiety at first. So can you just sort of explain to us the difference between normal worry and actual anxiety? Yes, this is a really good question. And I think some of the examples that you shared are so helpful. So when we look at normal worry versus anxiety, I always like to start with a really simple statement that goes like this. The worry is only a problem once it starts causing a problem in your life. So for you, Adriana, you mentioned that like the worrying was excessive. It was taking up too much space, right? Is this anxiety or this worry or the sensation that you're having getting in the way of the life that you want to have? Is it consuming too much time? Is it taking you out of the moment? Is it causing a problem? And if it is, then it might be actually anxiety, right? So normal worry is when we are worrying about a concrete problem, when we're trying to solve a problem that is likely or that is something that we're already facing, right? You might have some control over the process and it doesn't consume a whole bunch of your time. So that is normal. So there's going to be phases in life where there actually is something concerning. Let's say there is a real health concern. Let's say you're going to get some testing done and you're worrying about that. That's probably not health anxiety. That's just normal. Anybody would be worrying about that. Or you're about to give birth and you're a little bit apprehensive about how this is going to feel and how it's going to go. That makes sense. That's like a concrete worry. Whereas anxiety is more unsolvable. 
So it's like worrying about something that you can't get to the end of, you can't really solve in your mind. It's endless. The worry might be a bit more habitual. So it's just like every day you start worrying about the same thing and it just keeps going and going and it's harder to control. And then another piece that you touched on, Adrienne, is that it's about unlikely events or remote events that are really far away, about things that are just like not realistically going to happen or very unlikely to happen. And so again, there's no way for your mind to come to any conclusion if you just keep worrying about this very unlikely possibility. But the key here, what I want everybody to take away is like, is this worrying getting in the way of your life? Is it causing a problem? And if it is, then it's probably more likely to be anxiety. That's exactly how I knew that my anxiety was rearing its ugly head, so to speak, because everything that I was worrying about was somehow unsolvable. And my husband is such a great sounding board, so I'd run things off of him that I was stressed about. And right away, he would be able to solve the problem and be like, let's do this. Let's implement this. But for me, I was still consumed with it, even though we had a sound practical solution. And I oftentimes get taken out of the moment and I'll look back and I'll look at the clock and it'll be like 3 p.m. It's like, wait, what did I do all day? And it's like, oh, I tried to come up with a solution to a problem that is either already solved or that's actually not even really a problem. Well, that's the thing. It's easy to look back and say, that was silly or that didn't need that much attention. (laughs) That anxious part of your brain is like so good at convincing you that you need to worry about this. I've been up in the middle of the night so many times trying to solve problems, you know, not even wanting to go to sleep actually, because it's, it's sort of satisfying in a way. It satisfies that anxious part of you. That's like, we got to think this through. We got to go over it again. We've got to keep on worrying. So it's really hard to just convince yourself to like get off that worry train in the moment. Yeah, this is where that mindfulness piece comes in. We have to be able to catch ourselves, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that thing again. This is what it looks like when I do that. This is how anxiety shows up for me. Okay, I need to switch my train of thought. I need to listen to a meditation. I need to put on some music. I need to go get a drink of water. It's like catching ourselves in the act and then being willing to make a choice to get off that train. I love everything you're saying right now because it's ringing (laughs) true for recent experiences for me. Not only learning what some of my triggers were, which was actually pretty hard for me to learn, but learning what exacerbates my anxiety when I'm feeling extra anxious. Like you said, getting out and doing something, movement with your body, even if it's just like a dance party with my son in the kitchen while we're cooking, Mm -hmm. any kind of movement is helpful and it's a release and I do feel better. Or for me, unpopular opinion, we are the moms behind coffee and co-sleeping. But if I'm extra anxious, even if I'm exhausted, coffee actually makes it a hundred times worse. Oh, it absolutely. Like oh, yeah. Physical manifestation. <laughs> I hate to admit it. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but my anxiety mm-hmm. will physically manifest in like a racing heart, sweaty palms, and like I get sad. Mm-hmm. I actually suggest as a strategy is to really limit mm-hmm. caffeine and alcohol and sugar actually to go with that. So there's, I know, isn't it sad? <laughs> but it's- Everyone's it, favorite things. I'm like, damn. You know. Not the alcohol, but sugar. I got a big sweet tooth. Yeah. I mean, caffeine is like anxiety's best friend. It's just fuel. It's just so clearly linked to anxiety. So if anyone's struggling with it, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but make your choice. It's an option, right? To be curious about how caffeine is impacting you. Alcohol is not necessarily in the moment doesn't make anxiety worse, but often people will find 
their sleep tanks when they're drinking. You know, even though people will say, oh, no, I fall asleep more easily, but usually they'll wake up in the middle of the night and sleep quality is far worse when you drink alcohol. Often people will have that, even with just like one drink, you'll feel differently the next day and it just can create more space for anxiety. But these are just options, right? If people are wondering like, what can I do? You can experiment. You don't have to become like a avid meditator and give up all these things. Like you get to pick and choose. Just know that everybody's impacted by these things differently and there, there are options to look at like what you're consuming as well. Well, it comes full circle for me, at least all of the things that you've talked about and the things that I've really spent a lot of time on, even just through your Instagram, the mindfulness, the caffeine. If I'm having an extra anxious day, I'm cutting out the caffeine. I'd rather be more tired than caffeinated, maybe a little more energetic, but a little more depressed. Mm -hmm. But that allows, and that gives me the space to then really, really enjoy my next coffee. You know, when I am feeling a little better Mm -hmm. a couple days later and I've caught up on a bit of sleep and I've laid some of my worries to rest or I've talked through them with someone, I'll make a coffee in the morning and go sit outside on the front steps with Aiden and really enjoy that coffee. So it's not about giving up caffeine entirely. It's just about being more aware of how things are affecting you. Exactly. Um, And then making choices around that. Let me share an example. Like last weekend, I know I shared on Instagram that we went over to Vancouver So we live in a small town. We went, took a big ferry boat over to the city. And when I was on the ferry, I had all these intrusive thoughts. Because I'm in a new environment, there's a whole bunch of people around. I have a seven-year-old who wants to be independent and was like, can I go down to the arcade by myself? And I was like, oh, God, I'm so stressed out, but totally wanted (laughs) to give her that opportunity. So it's like mindfulness, right? Okay, I could tell in the moment I was stressed out. I was like looking over my shoulder and thinking of crazy things happening on on and on and on. So recognizing in the moment, okay, here I am. Of course, I'm going to be feeling anxious right now. That's okay. Maybe don't go and like buy an extra coffee and, you know, do things that are going to make it worse, but just set myself up for success in that moment. When we're out of town, when we're in a different environment, when there's potential threats or, you know, different situations to encounter, you're going to be more anxious. So you can plan around that. But it it does take that awareness, like you said, about your own triggers. So for me, when I'm in a new environment, when I'm around a lot of people, when the kids are asking for a bit more freedom, that's triggering. It doesn't mean I avoid those things, but I just kind of know going in that I'm going to be a bit more on edge. So how can I support myself? How can I set myself up for a bit more success? I wanted to talk a little bit about the increase in mental health needs in therapy visits during the pandemic. And so many of us have become more open about our mental health. It's become a lot more accessible now that there's, you know, online and just different resources and things as well. But what would you say to a new mom who is still really apprehensive about reaching out for help? Hmm. Yeah, it makes me feel sad hearing that. I know it's true, but I just wish that no mom was sitting listening to this feeling alone or ashamed. I want moms to know that there is literally nothing that they could say to a perinatal therapist that would be surprising. I hear so many similar themes with all my clients. We're all in the same boat. Like there are women all over the globe who are feeling the exact same way that you are, that are having the same thoughts, that fantasize about leaving, that regret having kids every now and again, that feel like they're just not the same anymore. All of the dark feelings that we have, you're not alone in it. You might feel alone, but you're certainly not. 
I think a good place to start is to scroll through accounts like mine. There's a lot of other therapists online that share things really vulnerably and openly. And as you start to see yourself reflected in posts, my hope is that you start feeling less alone and more courageous to share what you're going through with somebody. With help, like with the right support, every single symptom that a a mom could be experiencing is treatable, like every single thing. There's not anything that can't be helped in a way, right? Um, And that might be through therapy. It might also be through medication. I want to make sure we touch on that because medication is a very, very, very good option for many folks. You know, taking medication is not a failure. Taking medication could be the best decision you make in your entire life, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's also not a life sentence. I know a lot of people fear like, well, if I take medication, will I be on it forever? No, absolutely not. You might just need it for a little bit of time to get through this really hard period. And then you figure out your next steps after. It's not a life sentence. So I just really encourage people to not feel like they have to suffer through. There's no reward or trophy for like sticking it out and not getting help. It's way better to get the help and to be honest with your suffering so that you can show up as the the, the mom that you really want to be. I love that. And like you just said, you know, it's not as uncommon as you think, especially the intrusive thoughts, the crazy things that my mind was conjuring up that could or might happen to Aiden and I. I thought like, okay, I'm losing it. Maybe this is sleep deprivation, you know, like mm-hmm. I this is wild. And after having come across your page, I was so comforted in knowing that this is far more common than I ever would have expected. And I think that's why pages like yours are so incredibly helpful. Instagram is this free resource in a lot of ways and can at the very least start to help you identify some of the things that you might be feeling or experiencing so that you can take whatever next steps you might need to. Exactly. Education is so powerful. And in fact, education and learning is an intervention in a way especially with things like intrusive thoughts where we carry all of this shame and fear about what it means. If you just learn about what it means, so much of your pain is going to just drift away because you won't wonder what's wrong with you. So much of our pain comes from that self-judgment. Why am I this way? What is wrong with me? What does this mean about me? But if you know what it means and what it doesn't mean about you, it's like so freeing. So I just encourage people to learn as much as you can. There's a lot of self-help material out there that is affordable, accessible, free even. And so pursue that as much as you can as a starting place. This doesn't have to be an expensive endeavor to feel well. This is something that that really is available to all of us. I think oftentimes it's so intimidating too because you know something isn't quite right and you're ready to get help, but sometimes you just don't even know where to begin. Just quickly before we go, we want to ask you, Kate, we ask all of our guests, what's your go-to coffee order? (laughs) Uh, Gosh, lately I've been having an Americano misto with oat milk. (laughs) This conversation has been so amazing and we know it'll be helpful to so many parents. So before we go, Kate, where can our listeners learn more about you and the resources that you offer? We know that you have a lot of really great free resources on your Instagram. I do. I have lots of free resources on my website, but I think the the main place to start would be Instagram. I'm there every day and really try to stay connected with folks there. And then in terms of more support, if you're looking for support, especially with anxiety, there's two things I'll share here. So one is a course that I have. It's packed with so much information and strategies 
around how to manage anxiety in the perinatal period. And then a piece that can go really nicely with that is the membership space that I've started called Unwind. So that is a place where we practice a lot of these skills. So things like meditation, breath work, tapping. It's also a community of moms who are struggling with anxiety. You know, we chat every day and just go a little bit deeper than what we do on Instagram. So I'm really enjoying that space and finding it really validating and a nice sort of add on to the coursework so that you're not just alone in your house learning about this stuff. So I would say those three pieces, Instagram, the course and my unwind program are a great place to start. And we do have a lot of Canadian listeners, actually, and you offer a connect with a therapist feature on your website as well. So that's really good to know. Yes, exactly. So we support moms across the country and actually we'll be adding a couples counselor in the next couple months as well, which is super exciting. We honestly can't thank you enough, Kate, for such an important conversation that I really just hope opens up the floor for those that might just be exploring what it means to be struggling with postpartum anxiety or depression and some actionable next steps and tips that they can take. I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode and we're so grateful for you in this community. Thank you so much for having me. So if you haven't already, give us a follow on at Coffee and Co Sleeping Pod and make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until next week, cheers, mamas.